This is Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr., and today I am excited to be sitting down with our guest. He is, oh God, an explosive uh, dancer, and he is a brilliant educator, and he is a fixture in the arts scene of Philadelphia, and I'm very happy to be sitting down with Mark Wong. Mark, how are you today? Hello. (laughs) I'm so honored to be here uh, with you, Charles. The words you've said about me, I'm just honored to be in the same sentence as them. It's great. It's so cool that, um, you know, I've known who you are for oh, knocking on 20 years at this point. And um, we only really like officially shook hands and met last, what was it Thursday? Yep. Yep. At the uh, 50 for 50 cipher, uh, celebrating 50 years of breaking. And um, you were the uh, the MC of the evening, as it were. And you dropped some knowledge on everyone, myself included. I learned some things about hip hop, and I like to think that I know some stuff. So I was very appreciative of that. Um, what are what would you say brought you into uh, hip hop and hip hop culture? Because you you had a circuitous route, I would say, right? Definitely. So you know, originally I'm from Bermuda. I was born and raised in Bermuda. My help, most of my family still lives there, which I didn't. Uh, Oh, really? Oh, I, I should have mentioned that in the thing. But yeah, I, I came into hip hop as an outsider very late in life. So I came over to the US for school when I was like 17 by myself. I, that's when I found some friends who were like, hey, there's this hip hop thing. You want to have some CDs? Uh, the first CDs that I got were Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. I got Midnight Marauders. I got West Side Connection. It was like okay. all over the boards. <laughs> so That's it was a like starter pack, though. <laughs> it it was dope. It was really dope. Oh, and I got uh, Do You Want More by The Roots. There you so go. So that record in particular was one of the reasons why I was like, "Oh, Philadelphia, that's my favorite band. That's where right, I think right. I want to end up." Uh, so music was kind of the the foray, but at the same time, uh, Keith Murray, Redman, and Eric Sermon did a rapper's delight remix yeah and that was on mtv that was the first time i'd ever seen mtv when i would go home from the states that was the first time mtv came to bermuda and in that video they got ken swift crazy legs and a couple other rocksteady crew in like the two-piece puma outfits doing like breaking and popping right i had no idea what it was but i'm like i just i know i want to do that whatever that thing is where they're like rolling around i want to do that that looks like so much fun and just everything from like the outfits the music the the movement that's what i'm like i have to find out what that stuff is so i just started asking around and talking to people and i'm like oh there's this thing called breaking it's a part of hip-hop and you can just do it so yeah that's pretty much it I love it. Yeah, your introduction to MTV was very different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what about you? How'd you find it? Mine was, um, I was on a trip with my mom when we were at the Radisson Hotel, and it was uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, which is like <laughs> the actual flip side of your introduction. Yep. <laughs> I love it. So 
you so that immediately brought you into breaking oh yeah absolutely and and with breaking i mean i was lucky that the people who i was kind of learning about hip-hop with we understood that it was a culture and that the elements weren't separated so actually you know me and my buddies at school were learning all of it at the same time we were all we're trying to be little rappers we're trying to be little djs we're trying to write graffiti and we're trying to break we wanted to do everything but the dance was the one that i was like okay actually i i'm okay at uh and I'm actually proud to say one of my friends that I was learning about hip hop with, uh, I would force him to break, but he was more interested in music. He went on to be a pretty successful rapper in his own right. And now he's like one of the main talent scouts, like uh, Sony Interscope. So nice. like he still lives in like the hip, the hip hop sphere, just based off of this thing that we, you know, 30 years ago thought was fun. Okay. So you each found your own path under the same umbrella. I love yep. it. I yep. love it. So how long have you had you been in uh, in Philadelphia? So I've been in Philly since about two. I've been outside of Philly since 2000. I, I went to college at Haverford College, and that's what got me it like, you know, taking the bus, taking the train to come into the gathering in Philadelphia. So I, I would say I've been around the Philly area since about 2000. Nice. And you've uh, pretty much been involved with every major hip hop uh, dance ensemble that Philadelphia has, yeah? Uh, it, loosely involved with the big ones, yeah. I didn't get to do like a big Roman Jewels or whatever, but we did some stuff with Rennie. I was just happy to do anything with like the amazing pure movement. I know that's you right. Know. They were, you know, when I was going to college, they came and did a show at Rimmar. And I went, obviously, and that was the first time I ever saw Breaking on a contemporary stage. So I was like, oh, here's this thing that I only thought was in music videos or in ciphers. I'm like, oh, you could do this. And there's a company here that does this. So I'm like, all right, that's my goal. I want to do something with that company at some point. Uh, so, yeah, I've done stuff with Olive and with Rennie and like a lot of the big uh, competitions that have been through. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like the high flying, flipping and dipping head spinning one i'm usually like the grooving footworky one you know what i mean i was gonna say but you're not not that <laughs> <laughs> i'm not flipping as high especially not now but even back then I, i'm not ashamed to admit i wasn't flipping as high as the ones who were actually doing the flipping and dipping well you know everyone's got their lane but yours is <laughs> exactly. yours is a funky lane I, I will say so your um your dance name is metal where Correct. did that come from Ah, so I was uh, breaking in a little club that I was starting at Haverford. That club then uh, expanded to Villanova. So I was dancing with some of these cats out there and they're like, let me, let me reiterate, Charles, I was bad. I was not good at this dance. <laughs> Everything that I was doing, I was like slamming myself onto the ground. And somebody, one of the friends I was dancing with was like, you know, it's like you're like made of iron or something because you just keep bouncing back up. But it doesn't look good the way that you're doing it. You just kind of keep slamming yourself into the floor. You got to make it look smooth. You look like you're like made of metal or something. I was like, oh, I kind of like that. I was like, you think maybe that could be my name? They started calling me that. And then when I went to the gathering, I was like, yeah, everybody calls me metal. But it was never really a good thing. <laughs> it was just that I was mad clunky out there and awkward. <laughs> See, that is a different origin story than I would have expected. <laughs> Because in my mind, it was like a whole like liquid metal Terminator tooth kind of thing. <laughs> I, I'm lucky to be from the era where your 
your names were kind of given to you. You didn't really get to pick them. And that, that means they're not always cool. It was usually your friends trying to clown you in some type of way and then be like, all right, there's your name. See what you can do with that. You did get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could have chosen your own name, what would it have been? Oh, man, I have no idea. Back at the t- back, uh, probably something really lame. Whatever something like an emo 20-something-year-old kid would think is cool. Feelings. My name is Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that's trying to be like overly expressive or something. I don't know. But like I'll, I'll meet kids nowadays who are like, yeah, they call me like, they call me Warhammer. Or they call me like Lightsaber. And I'm like, mm-hmm. who calls you that? <laughs> Ain't nobody calls you that. people that call you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. So... Uh, hip hop has taken you through a whole bunch of different channels. Uh, like I said, you are an educator um, at the uh, at the fifty for fifty cipher. You gave a very like substantial hip hop one hundred and one lecture demonstration, talking about uh, the elements and the history. And I learned, uh, like I said, I learned that hip hop is a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping because, that one. I love it. Because the date is what now? The agreed upon? August 11th, 1973. Right. So I would have been negative two. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, um, yeah. So what is it that makes you want to um, teach the elements, the history uh, the pure the pure background of hip hop like why why is it so important that it needs to be taught on a wide level? I think that uh, first of all everywhere I go particularly in Philadelphia with young people I see the spirit of hip hop I, I you know I get to go work in schools with middle schoolers kids who are eight years old and they're hitting pens on the desk and they're saying rhymes and they're making up little dances and I'm like this is hip hop and you might not even know that you're part of this longer lineage that you can be proud of that has come from communities like yours. And one of the things that I'm, I'm lucky is that I, I do still feel like an outsider to hip hop. I still feel like I'm coming in and I'm, I'm observing it. And that allows me to keep zooming out and be like, okay, you might not even know this really cool thing that you're a part of. Not saying that you have to say that, that, uh, uh, you have to always be different to the to, to the past or whatever. But isn't it cool to know that you guys hitting pens on desks is part of this larger cultural thing that you can now legitimize as an art form, you know? So I think it's really important to just keep the history alive and also also getting to talk to a lot of the, the OGs. Uh, you know, these are folks who don't get recognized as artists often. Sometimes they're just folks with a day job who are like now in their 60s. Mm. And to recognize them, I think, is important to be like, hey, they might not have been able to, you know, when, when I was out in L.A., we got to see uh, dancers like a guy named Trixie, a guy named Dancing Doug, who were like, they were some of the original dancers at the Cool Herc parties. But they're just regular cats in New York with day jobs now. Like, right. nobody's writing Dancing Doug a check. But it's important for like, big events like freestyle sessions to like yeah, they flew them out they gave them an award we like honored them or recognized them and i think it's it's important to be like yeah this thing that is now a multi-billion dollar industry this hip-hop music industry 
It's a huge dance industry. This came from regular people, you know? So we gotta, we gotta at least try and find out a little bit about these regular folks who started this thing. Indeed. Um, what would you say, like, in your travels, like, how is it different and how is it the same from place to place? In it's it's different in other countries in that they tend to take it more seriously than over here. They tend to study it like it is an art form. Whereas here, like I'm saying that the young kids are doing hip hop and not even knowing that they're doing it. If I were to go to Norway, for example, I know some Norwegian cats who are like, they live, breathe, and die hip-hop. They all rap, they all DJ, they all do graffiti, they all break, and that's all they want to do all day. They, you know, dropped out of high school to study this, and they just want to go around Europe, do street shows, and battle people. That's it. That's their whole lives. They're incredible dancers. You don't really see that too much over here. Maybe some cats in New York are still studying in that way. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's... I think because, uh, you know, a country like Norway doesn't have that built into the uh, backbone of the history. When they see something like hip hop, they're like, great, I've been looking for this thing to help really solidify my identity. I'm just going to do it. and I'm going to do all of it. and I'm going to do it a thousand percent, you know. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that probably has a, is a big reason why uh, breaking is going to be an Olympic event because of the respect that it's garnered around the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I remember like when I was coming up in Philly, there would always be this like contingency of Japanese dancers who would pop into the gathering like once a year. And I'm like, why are these random Japanese people coming to the gathering? And then I would come to find out that they would make a pilgrimage from Japan to New York City specifically for breaking. And they would spend like a month like living in New York being like, I'm going to learn breaking. I want to learn it from where it started. They would go to all the practices, didn't speak a lick of English, but they would be there. And then part of their like little uh, tour that they made for themselves was like, we take the bus down to Philly for the gathering. And I'm like, oh, that's so interesting that the, even back in the early 2000s, some other countries were like, making a pilgrimage specifically to study this dance. I love it. Uh, yeah, talk to me more about the gathering. Oh, the gathering. The gathering is like, that's like our little church. That's like our little West Philly church. Uh, I started going to the gathering right when I got to Haverford, so that's around 2000. I want to say it's been going since like 1992 or 1993. Okay. And I think, I think the idea was that some UPenn students or some like UPenn related folks back in the 90s were like, oh, let's just try and make a hip hop party. And they got some funding from Penn to secure that space. And then it just kind of kept rolling on. Uh, I remember the early days of the gathering. It was like wall to wall people. The whole, you know, every surface was covered with paper so people could write and uh, tag. Yep. Uh, you had the MCs on stage just fighting to get some stage time. And you had big ciphers in the middle. Everybody's fighting to get that cipher time. And it was like 10, to, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. or something like that constant music constant body rocking it was like so dope and like the cypress would spill to the outside people would be battling outside on the concrete 
the rappers would be battling outside on the concrete. It was just this whole, like, it was just like a carnival of life. So I'm just there, like, squished in with everybody, just loving every second of it. Yeah, that was like our church. That sounds right. I've I'd only attended uh, the gathering a handful of times, but your description is definitely accurate. And I remember feeling like this was, like, unfiltered hip-hop. You know what I mean? It's yep. like every element, every box is being checked in this space, in this moment, at this time. And that's the real thing. And so it actually, when you were talking about uh, folks from Japan making a pilgrimage to the, the gathering, I'm like, that makes sense that the gathering has gotten that kind of reputation for purity, you know, yep. for lack of a better word, that people would come from great distances to be there. That's awesome. I don't remember ever hearing of another party that had all the elements in the same room at the same time. I think that it really was a very raw and pure event. And also, like, you know, I saw great acts there. I saw, like, I saw Fillmore Brown there, who were, like, some of the pioneers of, like, the black punk scene in Philly. Mm. We didn't know what was going on. We're like, why are you like turning off the hip hop and this band is up here and they're screaming and they're destroying the instruments and whatever. But it was really amazing, important performance art. Uh, and it was it's such a hard room to play because we're like the room is full of like dancers and graffiti writers who just want to break and write on stuff. So the MCs are trying to get their attention. Right. So I'm like. Whenever anybody's like, yo, I'm a rapper, I'm coming up, I was like, go play The Gathering. If you can get everybody's attention there, then you're going to be all right. But, like, that is a hard room to play. It's like the hip-hop Apollo. I saw, like, exactly, exactly. It took, like, PD Crack won us over eventually, but it took a, it took a while. This was after PD Crack already had a second album out, and he thought he was going to roll into a spot that was like, hey, like, but nope. Everybody was, like, head down. We want to keep breaking. And he's like, oh, you want me to do some of my early stuff? Once he started doing his early stuff, we started being like, okay, that's what I like. Okay, we care now. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah, give me a couple more of your your favorite moments, Um, not just at the gathering, but uh, hip-hop moments in your travels, whether it be in Philadelphia or abroad. Wow. So my favorite hip-hop moments, there's like... There's so many. I mean, we got to, uh, all right. So my crew, Rep Styles crew, we started around the same time as I, uh, we started 2004. So I was still like kind of whack, but I was less whack than I was when I first started. We were, uh, we're KSW. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We exactly. We're, we were just a little bit whack. Our, uh, rival crew was of course, Eldel Flav. Eldel Flav had been established before us. They were the ones who were like, if you try to push your way into the cipher at the gathering and they don't think you're good enough, they're just going to literally move you out of the way. Be like, yep, I've seen that happen. <laughs> which like at the time, I'm like, wow, why is everybody, why are they so mean? You know what I mean? But now that I'm older, I miss that. I miss like, I miss seeing that idea of, uh, of, of like teaching the younger generation to be like, hey, this is a conversation. If you don't got nothing to add to the conversation, just... Why are you here? Right. You know what I mean? You got to respect the art form. So, like, I totally appreciate it in retrospect, and I get it. Uh, we were, like, 
so we were not we were kind of like the number two crew in philly we were like off to the side on the side circles on the gathering or outside we weren't in the big main circle so this is fast forward to like 2007 or something like that uh the big international battle the hugest battle in the world is called battle of the year they have their big world fi finals in uh germany and they've been doing that since 95 or something like that uh we heard that the U.S. for the first time was going to have a qualifying competition in Los Angeles. And I think this is 2007. So we were like, okay, we're nobodies, but we have to go. We got to go. We got to try and represent. We uh, trained really hard. You have to make a whole routine. This is our first time making like any type of a stage show or whatever. We had nowhere to rehearse. So we were practicing at Rittenhouse Square at like 2 in the morning. Nice. Uh, running around, dodging the cops. We uh -huh. did that for like three weeks. <laughs> and uh, we flew out to L.A. We did our thing. We made it to top eight, which for us, we're like, hey, that's great. Right. We uh, got to see a lot of the crews that we'd only ever seen on VHS tapes. We got to battle a lot of them. Uh, that actually wasn't the favorite moment for me. The favorite moment was like, we, we spent our time in LA and we're like, hey, we went and we represented Philly. When we came back, it happened to be the same day as the gathering. So we're like, let's go straight from the airport to the gathering. Nice. We're exhausted. We went there. The second we walked in the door, all of Illadel Flav was waiting for us. They called us out and we battled for like what felt like a really long time. <laughs> and then after the battle, they were like, look, Y'all took it upon yourselves to go represent for Philly. We just wanted to make sure that you were representing correctly. So we were like, let's see what you got when you got back. And for some reason, that felt really good. I was like, oh, this is the first time these guys even ever really talked to us, <laughs> let alone like, let's engage into a dance conversation. Nice. So yeah, we were like frenemies for a while, but I still really love that story as, as, as like, that was when our crew finally got accepted into the Philadelphia scene. And it wasn't because... It wasn't because we uh, it wasn't because we trained with anybody or that we were like friends with anybody. It was because we like took it upon ourselves to be like, no, we're going to go do this. And then Philly was like, oh, you're about to go do something. Let me see. Let me just check you real quick. And then they're like, OK, you guys got the pass. That's how I feel like that's missing a little bit in today's hip hop, which is neither good nor bad. It's just different. But yeah, I love that. I love that memory. Illidol Flav actually is the reason why this is the first time I heard your name because, you know, I've um, just by being a dancer who knows dancers in the city for as long as I have, you know, I, I know a lot of B-boys and B-girls and I'm just constantly hearing names. You know, you got uh, you got Sess, you got Flitz, you got J-Spin, you got K-E-Z, you got Metal, you got, you know, I'm just, I'm just hearing these names. And so, yeah, so that's how I, I first heard your name. And then um, when like a, a like 90% of uh, Flav was in Olive. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started um, paying even closer attention to Olive. And that's actually when I saw you perform. I believe the first time I saw you perform was, remember when Olive did that huge free concert series at the Wilma? That yep. So, uh, Toy Box, I think it was. I forget what it was called. 
But wow, that's that's wild that you were at that one. That was my first time performing with them. I'm so sorry that you saw me performing that way. It was horrible. <laughs> I disagree. None of you were horrible. It was a great show. That's, but, you know, shout out to Jamie Merwin. She was so smart to be like, hey, I'm going to rent out the Wilma and I'm going to like put on this stuff right? for free. And that like really helped establish Olive on the map. Yeah, that was um, that was really inspirational for me because I was like, hmm, you can do that. Hmm, mm-hmm. how can you do that? <laughs> let me let me start twirling some things around in my own head. But um but yeah, that was interesting because, you know, thanks to uh pure movement, we now know, I mean, I always knew, but everyone now knows that hip hop can be at home on a concert dance stage. So, seeing Olive where it was like very uh, it was more, the phrase that's in my head is avant-garde uh, mm-hmm. hip-hop dance theater. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, that was that's kind of what that experience was. Would you agree? Yeah, the, yeah. those, those uh, days with Olive really helped solidify my aesthetic for like how I like hip-hop in the contemporary space. Or like when I make stuff, it tends to be more skewed towards the avant-garde, towards the like the olive end than it is right. towards like a, uh you know like a hip-hop nutcracker type thing not there's anything wrong with that but i'm more i'm more of like the the weirdo performance arty type stuff exactly because of olive i think yeah when you can take the vocabulary and <laughs> spin it on its head as it were yeah. <laughs> yep i love it so um so your love of hip-hop education uh, has taken you to a bunch of places. For instance, you are one of the co-founders of Hip Hop Fundamentals. That's right. Talk to me about that. Ah, well, okay. So in my personal, it's all very selfish, Charles, because really what I wanted to do was be like, I just want to keep doing hip hop. I don't know how. I just know I want to keep doing it. So we were trying, we as my crew were trying to do industry stuff. We were trying out for the TV shows we're trying out for commercials. We're trying to win battles. We were uh, street performing at Rittenhouse Square every weekend in the summer. Uh, and then eventually somebody was like, hey, can you like teach this after school program in South Philly? Uh, me and Steve, who's also a co-founder and Ruckus, who's also a member of Hip Hop Fundamentals from my crew, we made this little after school club at like Sixth and Wolf, this little like kids community center. And we started teaching breaking. We had no idea what we were doing. We'd never taught kids anything before. But uh, I'm proud to say that a lot of those kids who were in our first group are now in Hip Hop Fundamentals. A lot of them kept breaking. Nice. Uh, And that was when the light bulb hit that I'm like, oh, education is way more sustainable and it's more fun than this entertainment stuff. Because like entertainment, you were just running around all over the place looking for the next gig. I'm like, oh, Education is actually fairly sustainable. Maybe I should get good at this. So oh, I went to uh, this two-year program at UArts for a teaching artist certificate program. And that's where I learned like actual educational theory and actual like uh, classroom technique. Then I just applied that to break-in. We took all that stuff and put that into hip-hop fundamentals. And we were like, okay, let's try and do build classroom residencies. Let's try and build assembly programs at the at the time when we were building hip-hop fundamentals 
the big educational buzzword was arts integration. So that's kind of what I specialized in at school, which is like, how do you teach academics and art artistic content like equal weight at the same time with equal measure? Uh, so we made all these stage shows that were like, how do we teach the history of civil rights through breaking? How do we teach basic physics through breaking? How do we teach uh, health and wellness, like making healthy choices through breaking? Uh, we had multiple shows about that. And then we would do these residencies where it's like, I'm going up to North Philly teaching kids long vowels and short vowels through breaking. And that's that stuff is super exciting to me. Oh yeah, it can get real weird, weird, Charles. It can get, because I have the background of the abstract stuff, you can get real weird with it. You can basically teach anything through dance. Yeah, it's really it. fun. I yep. love it. And I also love that you uh, mentioned education being more sustainable as opposed to entertainment. Cause you know, I was thinking, yeah, with entertainment, you're only as good as the last thing you did. Yep. And that's assuming that you are what is wanted right now, you know? Exactly. So the shelf life has a shelf life. Whereas, you know, education is about the future, you know, taking the now into the next and they're all, and you know, time is always marching forward. We're always going to need to be looking forward. So that's true. Education is very sustainable and I'm glad that you made that realization. You know, I, I still try and tell all dancers. In, in fact, now that I get to work with young artists and lots of up and coming art forms, I'm like, look, like you may want to be the next like big trumpet player in the jazz world in Philly. But if you can, if I can give you a room of 40 kids and you can keep them alive for one hour, <laughs> you don't even have to do it well. If you just keep them alive, there's gonna be work for you. If, if you can teach them something, if they come out of it knowing something that they knew, that they didn't know when they got there, that's great. But if you could just hold them there for one hour, there's work for you in the city of Philadelphia. You gotta find it, but it, it's there. And it might be easier than you scrounging around trying to look for uh work in the entertainment field which you could do at night all this other stuff happens during the day so it's another reason why we liked entertainment was because we could work during the school day and after school hours and we had all night to party practice do the hip-hop thing you know what i mean right 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 right. that's true like someone told me once that uh you can do anything for an hour mm -hmm. and that's saved my life many many times like just when that that little part of your brain goes i don't know hits you you can do anything for an hour yes you can <laughs> yes you can i firmly believe that too yeah and um speaking of education uh we were talking about this off mic your uh cool gig that you have at the kimmel center talk yeah. to me about that ah so the uh Again, the doors that hip hop open up for you, right? Like uh, during the pandemic, the Kimmel Center reached out to Hip Hop Fundamentals and was like, oh, could you um, could you make some bespoke video content for virtual learning around like empowering you through the through the performing arts in Philadelphia? And we were like, sure. I, you know, I, I called in uh, all the squad. It was great to just get an opportunity to do something during the pandemic. I called in the team together. I called in a fantastic local filmmaker, Aiden Un, who I've worked with a bunch before. Uh, and we made this like 30 minute long thing that was like, here's the history of breaking, here's a combo that you can learn. It was kind of like making a little mini TV show. After that happened, the Kimmel reached out to me and was like, oh, we're actually looking for some uh, education coordinators. 
do you have any suggestions? And I'm like, uh, I kind of think that I might want this gig. They're like, yeah, that's why we're reaching out to you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Fast forward through that, I, I ended up being a coordinator there for a year. Uh, just this last year, I moved into a managerial position as the manager of the theater and of the new theater and dance programming that is being built in collaboration with the Philadelphia Orchestra. So now I get to work in uh, introducing kids to the stage who like maybe have never been to a theater before or never thought of themselves as a dancer or an actor or a singer. Uh, it's definitely like like the organization skills and the admin skills that like I was forced to learn with hip hop fundamentals, even though that's not what I wanted to. I wanted to be like out there teaching and performing. Right. But now I'm more about the organizing, the admin, uh, and it's helped me get like this pretty fun gig. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. But my heart's always going to be like in hip hop stuff, but I, I do love the, the bigger picture performing arts umbrella too. Like that stuff also, uh, you know, I, I get to see like kids come and see like a high level jazz show by people like Robert or Jay and they're just they're they're blown away. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, that's that's also really, really important to me, too. Right. And you know, they also you know, you have access to Philodenko, you know, yep. I love it. That's wonderful. And, you know, it's a good way to stay tapped into, you know. The, the arts, the fabric of the arts in, in Philadelphia, because the Kimmel Center is kind of a, a hub, one could say. Uh, that's what we're, what we're trying to go for, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think we could do a little bit better sometimes in a lot of departments. But yes, we are, we are one of the major hubs for the performing arts in Philly. And what's really, you, you mentioned in Danko, like Philodanko performs free student matinees that we'll, like, we'll bust the kids in, like pack these theaters full. And like, we call it Philodanko Day. When Philodanko Day happens, I want to be in that theater watching because to watch the kids watch Danko, uh -huh. it's incredible. Like they have never seen anything like this before. When you see a fourth grader watching Danko for the first time, it's right. Awesome. And a lot of times, that fourth grader in a few years they end up in Danko too or something. Exactly. You know? I and then you it. get to watch the the young Danko performers who maybe have never performed for a room of like 800 kids before. And they've never been like screamed at like they're a celebrity. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. Danko performs is not like they are screaming at everything. They just love it. So you see these dancers like, oh, snap. Like <laughs> never felt this energy before. <laughs> I'm going to file this away. for. I like this feeling. <laughs> yeah. yep. My favorite thing about those shows, besides Danko performing themselves, is when inevitably some kid is going to ask one of the dancers to do whatever popular dance was is on like television or TikTok or whatever, and Miss Joan will put her hand on her hip <laughs> and say, "You can get that anywhere." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that because it always happens. We have long discussions about that at Hip Hop Fundamentals. It's so because everywhere we go, they ask us the same thing, and we're like, "You just saw the man do like backflips and spin on his head. You want him to do? You want him to do this?" Right. And we're like, "Why? What? Why is that? Why do they want that?" And all we could come up with is like, "I guess they want to just learn that you're in the same world that they're in, or something. I don't know. Like, they want to break down that fourth wall and be like, "Oh, you could do, you could do this, you do this thing." And you can do that. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. Yeah, I guess like 
because TikTok and those kind of things are part of their world, that to them is legitimate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by asking you to do that, then it's like proving that you two are legitimate. Right, right, exactly. I have whole um, thoughts on TikTok too, man. I, I I both love and hate the TikTok stuff. Yeah, I was I was getting ready to ask because this is a conversation <laughs> that I'm I'm interested in because you know we live in an age now where we have a generation of young dancers who have always had. Uh, some kind of social media to refer to, and that is their um, their their reference point for the arts. And you know, that's a double edged sword. Um, like if all you know about dance is from social media, you know, you have no. I mean, social media in general can give you the idea of the the get rich quick, as it were. Uh-huh. You know, they. Those 15-second clips never showed the training and the hard work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, how how have you uh, come up against the struggle of the work ethic with kids? Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I'm lucky in that I'm in Philly. Philly is a dancing city. Philly has, long before TikTok, the, the little ones want to jump around and, you know... When I first started teaching in the school systems here, it was like Wu-Tang was a big thing. Then it was like tanging it and party dancing and all that stuff. I think those are awesomely legitimate dances that never got their shine. But I saw all those moves get smaller when social media happened. And you went from having big movement that took up a lot of space to something that fits in this little like 2D camera spot. So that kind of makes me sad a little bit sometimes to be like, I think that these kids are missing out on the idea that dance is this three-dimensional thing that takes up space and it's not this like little minute movement thing that takes place in a little window. Right, right, right. With your feet planted on the ground or like look at this one thing my feet can do. I'm like, you know, you can like run around in circles. You can take up as much space as you want. Uh, So I think TikTok has shrunk a lot of dance uh, in a way that I don't particularly like, but... At the same time, like I look at it from the other side, I look at the way Breakin started. Breakin was like these little 30 second runs, these little 15 second runs that people didn't really know what context to put them in. And just like you said, you don't see the hard work and the dedication that goes behind that 15 seconds. So, but you know, it's, it's the same as like a, a one trick that you'll perform for like that little bit of cloud on TikTok. So whenever I feel like Whenever I feel like an old man, basically, who's just like yelling at the clouds, like oh, things aren't like what they used to be, like I got to check myself and be like, you know, that's what they were saying about rap when it came out. That's what they were saying about breaking when it came out. So maybe maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe it's not for me to understand, but maybe this is going to be its own thing. You know, right. I'm eternally optimistic about it in that way. I mean, that is a point of view that, you know, I didn't think about, like, the the dimensions of, of the space that is occupied. And, yes, while that is true, um, that, you know, short form does have its place, I guess I look at it in terms of a concert dance choreographer. 
mm-hmm. in that. And uh, I saw a video uh, about a year ago, and I was like, I was screaming at the phone, like, yes, tell them. Because he was like, okay, see how winded y'all are after 30 seconds of dancing. That shows me that y'all are the TikTok generation, and TikTok doesn't prepare you for eight shows a week. TikTok mm-hmm. does not prepare you for a 12-hour shoot. You know what I'm saying? So that's also how I think about it. So I think I'm not, you know, trying to be totally like pull up your pants, boy, get off my lawn with it. <laughs> but I know they, they need to they need all of it. You know yes. what I mean? They just need to know that there's more than just that, because, you know, social media is a valid tool, a valuable tool. But that's all it is, is a tool. It's yep. not the end all be all. And I think that's somehow how we have to what we have to get across to the kids. You know, I'll corroborate that by saying I've seen many, I've seen a few battles now, like breaking battles, open format competitions where anybody can enter, where like a really famous, a really TikTok famous influencer will will enter. And these are people who are doing all the flashy moves on TikTok and they don't make it past the first round because it's like you have this one move or you have this set of moves, but you haven't practiced competing. You haven't practiced putting it together in a way that makes sense. Your composition sucks. You know what I mean? You're used to being like, I can set it up and do multiple takes or whatever. It's like, no, you got to put it all together right now and make it look good. Yeah. They, they, they tend to not make it that far. Hmm. Interesting. Because of what you're saying. There's no multiple takes in real life. Sorry, son. (laughs) Yep. Yep. What you got right now. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing with, with dance, with the arts, with life, you know, you have right now is all you have, Uh you know, and, and that's another thing. Um, And this is like outside of TikTok. This is just the thing that, you know, we're kind of forgetting in turn, in like the way that uh, society has gone that right now is important, Uh you know, because we spend a lot of time and by we, I mean, certain people spend a lot of time hearkening back to days of yore, you know, trying to take us backwards. And, you know, a lot. And then you have people that are spending their entire time and career looking into the future. What about now? Exactly. You know, if not now, then when? Yep. I I, uh, I don't even like we used to train really hard for these battles or for like a performance or something like I don't I don't even call it training like that anymore I just go out and dance I'm like I'm doing it for now (laughs) like I'm here to have fun right now because this is what I got the thing is alive so if I'm not enjoying this process now then what's the point what am I what am I doing this for you know exactly like every time it's like you don't have to go 110%, but you should, You, I think that you should find some type of enjoyment in it in the now, in the present moment. Exactly, because it's all we have. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I always used to, you know, yell at my students when they were like, saving their energy. It's like, what are you saving it for? You know, right. Right, exactly. the whole point yeah. is to do it perfectly, like 300 times now, so you can do it perfectly once. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you got to yep. keep moving. Um, so I have an interesting question for you. So I know in, within the, the real circles of hip hop, um, there is a built in feeling of, of, 
unity and togetherness and acceptance, which is one of my favorite things about the culture. Um, but when you perform, like how, I guess what I'm saying, like um, diversity in within dancers, because we can, because, you know, hip hop is by and large a black dance form. Uh -huh. So whenever uh, non-black people partake in the dance form, like is there, there's, I guess initially anyway, you ha there's a moment of like having to prove yourself. Like, do you, do you come across that anymore um, in your travels? Um, not really. And to be honest, if I'm speaking the truth, when I first started breaking in Philly, there were more non-black practitioners of breaking specifically than there were black folks, particularly because like, particularly in spaces like the gathering. It was a lot of Asian kids. It was a lot of uh, Latino kids. We had Jay Spin, we had Chad Money, we had Hussein Money, we had Drew and Marcus, and we had uh, the other members of like Hoodlockers and Flav. But honestly, there were, it was always kind of a diverse room. I'm actually happier now to see that like more black kids in Philly are doing breaking. I, I was talking to my man, Chad Money, who was at the 50 or 50 thing, I was like, look at how many black kids are doing this now. He's like, yo, I used to be the only one in this room after really? Jay Smith left, right? Uh, I think because, I think it's because in a good way, I think the black community tends to always move on to the next thing to be like, after break and stop being popular in like the 80s, they're like, great, let's make our own other dances. Let's make right, right, like right. hip hop and stuff. You know what I mean? So I think like, it was only a few people who kind of held on to the old ways. Now it's coming back around where uh, all up and down the East Coast from New York to like the DMV area, there's a larger contingency of like black breakers, which I think is great. Um, so I never felt like I had to prove myself because of the way I looked, but you did have to prove yourself for being just a new face in general. like. It really did not matter what you look like. If you could throw down, you were allowed to be in the conversation. But if you were not up to par, uh, they didn't want to have nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? So That's like, beautiful, it, as it should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hip-hop still has its problems. It's still like a way overly dominated male space. It's an overly homophobic space. We got mm. huge issues that we got to deal with. But... There, it, like you said, there's this thread of unity that I've felt since the beginning to be like, okay, nobody's really calling me out for like not being a certain way as long as I can hang. You know what I mean? Right. And that's the thing because, you know, skill and talent are undeniable, like regardless of the package that it's coming in. Yep. Yep. And that's one thing that I, I do enjoy. It's like you can have whatever feelings you want to have. But, you know, if you want to say that this person isn't good, well, now you're just lying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly uh, you know I, I see uh i see dancers with disabilities for example folks who only got one leg they got one arm or or they're deaf or uh many all different types of disabilities for some reason breaking really speaks to that community and they're dope when they walk in the room, nobody is looking at them like a disabled person. They're looking at them like it's a threat. Like, please don't call me out. <laughs> in front of everybody. You I know, love it, that. It's, it's really fun. I love that. Uh, so, um, okay. 
So if you had your favorite thing about the culture and your least favorite thing about the culture, what would you say that is? Mm. That sense of unity that you're talking about is my favorite thing. Where, for the most part, in general, if you go to the gathering, you're in a room full, you're, you're not even from town, you have no friends there, you can put your backpack down and nobody's going to take your bag for two hours, for the most part. Right. You know, don't be a fool about it, but yeah, it's probably going to be there. Act like you've you been somewhere. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you could show up from Allentown and not know anybody there, and within two hours, you got a place to stay, you got people to kick it with, you've made some buddies. That absolutely can happen. And it can happen without you speaking a lick of the language of the country that you are in. And I've seen it happen all the time. That's such a beautiful thing, just to see how it brings people together, where you see people from Russia and Ukraine in the same room dancing together. They're friends. Mm. You see people from Israel and Palestine dancing together in the same room. They're friends. That legitimately can happen. That's my favorite thing about hip hop. Uh, my least favorite thing is Again, all these uh, being accepting in one way and then being so unaccepting in other ways. Where, like I said, there's a there's a problem with queer spaces in 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 hip hop dance where people just don't want to talk about it for some reason. Right. And there's a problem with non male breakers and b girls. Like we we as you saw at fifty fifty for fifty, wouldn't it be great if it was fifty percent non male and fifty percent male? Right. But the, the numbers just aren't there yet. You know what I mean? Whereas if I go to Europe, it is pretty much 50-50. If I go to Asia, it's pretty much 50-50. But we can't figure it out here. I know, and, and that's, that's so crazy. Because there's so many uh, women breakers, women-identified breakers, that are, like, insane. Yes. And, you know, they don't really get a break unless they go outside of Philly. Yep. And There's something about Philly. I don't know what it is, but there's something about Philly that... We're not we're not welcoming or we're not helping to foster it or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I will I'll take this opportunity to promote one of the things that uh, I won't even take say hip hop fundamentals should take credit for this, but something that uh, we helped kind of bring to the forefront is this uh, community space called Breaking and Baking, which is uh, led by Dr. Cheryl Dodds, who was one of the people who threw down a fifty for fifty. Yeah, she did. And it's, <laughs> oh yeah, you know Cheryl probably. And she uh, helps lead a space that is just a practice spot for uh, non-males. It's just a weekly practice where they spend the first uh, few, like, like hour and a half, they'll do just, like, ciphering and training. And then they, like, share cookies and baked goods for, like, the last 45 minutes. And, like, in hearing Cheryl talk about it, it's, like, it's so different from open, all-gendered practices. She's, like, for some reason... It just feels like we can be ourselves that much more in that space. She comes to the other practices too, but she's like, it's really nice to have that weekly spot where there's just none of that like weird dude energy. <laughs> and right. it's just like people could just be themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, because dude energy can 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 mess it up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I'm part of it, so I probably don't even know the full extent of it, but yes. I mean, hey, <laughs> you know I know. I'm just saying. Um, so what is next 
for Mark Wong? What's on the horizon? What are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to this upcoming project called the uh, Re-Emancipation of Social Dance, which is a really cool project that's like looking at Black diasporic dances in like a site-specific avant-garde way. This is a project that is happening through uh, uh, Intercultural Journeys. That's the new organization that we're with. We're at the very early stages of planning this project. I'm really excited because this is my first time in a while that I've done a project where I am just the dancer, where I get to, I don't have to do any of the admin. I don't have to do any of the planning. I just got to, we'll figure out when the rehearsals are. I go to the rehearsals. I'm really, really excited for that. Doesn't that feel good? It's so great. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's next for me on the uh, performance tip. But I'm also like, you know, hip hop fundamentals is still growing. I'm the old head chilling in the background watching the young cats take it over, and I'm like really impressed with how uh, people people who I only knew as breakers who maybe don't have a college degree are now stepping up to do admin to do like all these really professional tasks and they're really they're they're stepping up the task i'm like this is dope this is great you know 10 years ago like it was hard to get y'all to like show up for something less than half an hour late but like now you're <laughs> running the thing and you're doing it better than i was doing it so that's that's fantastic uh so building more sustainability for hip-hop fundamentals is surely next and then pursuing other projects like re-emancipation of social dance and pursuing my own other uh, like, like I'll try and do something weird for Fringe every year just for the hell of it. Uh, doing little stuff like that. That's 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 where my heart is at. That's hopefully what's in the cards for me in the future. I love it. So if we wanted to uh, learn more about you and what you do and keep up with you, where could we go? Where should we follow? What should we explore? Oh, my goodness. Well, because I'm old, I'm not really that active on social media. But you can find me on Instagram at 31 Strange Days, like the number 31 Strange Days. That's where I post mostly my visual art projects. But if you want to like DM me or whatever, that's where I'm at. And then hiphopfundamentals.com is also the uh, main hub for everything that Hip Hop Fundamentals does. And if y'all send us a message through the uh, online portal there, I'm going to see it. So if anything, yeah, those are the best ways talk to me about all things hip-hop nice and i will make sure to put uh those links in the notes to this episode so that we can keep up with you and all the wonderful things that you are a part of but you know what i should promo as well come to the kimmel center there we got all this type of free stuff there's always something free happening in the plaza you can you know the ticketed stuff is cool too but just come to the kimmel we're really looking in our community engagement department to try and bring a new fun energy into our space so just come look for the you know asian dude with the man bun pull me aside we'll get <laughs> i love it i love it well mark this has been a fabulous conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i had so much fun this is like the everybody should start their monday like with a conversation with charles just putting that out there I agree. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark Metal Wong, thank you so much for sharing your time and energy with me today. This was amazing. Thank you for being such a great interviewer, Charles. <laughs> thank you. 
This has been Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. If you are a dancer in Philly, or if you love a dancer in Philly, you should consider visiting PhiladelphiaDance.org and clicking on the Become a Member button and take advantage of all the fabulous benefits that come from being a member of Dance in Philly. Once again, I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr. You have a wonderful day.